All right, John 4.22 says this. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So we had a revival meeting, and we, of course we, we took time off for that, but I want to continue in the series that we began two weeks before that about our Jewish roots. Jesus did not come into this world to start a new religion. He came to fulfill the promises that God made through the prophets. And so to have a clearer picture of what Christ has done for us and who we are in him, we need to see the Jewish roots of our salvation. So we can trace the origins of our redemption, and you know that means our salvation, what we have today. We can trace the origins of our redemption all the way back to Abraham. In other words, really, the gospel message did not begin in Bethlehem. In fact, actually, the Bible tells me in the book of Ephesians that before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be in Christ. But we can certainly say it began with a man named Abraham. So if we don't see the beginning, we won't understand the end right? See, somebody said, Christ is the answer. But the world is asking, yes, but what is the question? So we have to go back. In uh, Augustine, St. Augustine from the third century AD said this, in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. You see, in the great drama of redemption, the Old Testament is act one, where the villain appears and peril arises. You know, where the danger, the trouble, the problem begins, the crisis. The New Testament is act two, where our hero takes center stage and comes to our rescue. So, you know, if you just slipped in the movie after intermission, you really couldn't understand what the story was about because you missed the first part, right? Some Christians seemingly want to discard the Old Testament as being irrelevant. doesn't even matter. The pastor of a large, influential church in America recently, I think it was maybe last year, he stated this. He wanted to, quote, unhitch or unhook Christianity from the Old Testament because he said in his words that the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry. And besides that, the things in the Old Testament, the things that are written in the Old Testament, people in our modern day find offensive. <laughs> Maybe there's some people even here in Nagaland that kind of think that way. But of course, that is heresy. The writers, the writers of the New Testament frequently referred to the Old Testament. It's difficult or maybe even debatable exactly how many references there are, but one Bible scholar said the New Testament contains 300 
and two direct quotes from the Old Testament. And 493 allusions to the Old Testament. And what that means is not directly quoting it, quote, as it is written, this, this, but it's indirectly referring to it. It's talking, it's definitely taking something from the Old Testament and talking about that. And then another 138 possible allusions to the Old Testament. So if the Old Testament has absolutely no bearing on our life whatsoever, why does the New Testament refer to it, mention it, or cite it 933 times? Evidently, first century Christians were not offended by the Old Testament. Hmm. Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus himself said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Greek word abolish, is uh, translated abolish, is the word kataluo, kataluo. And it means, it has several meanings, but one meaning is to subvert or overthrow. So Jesus did not come to destroy anything that his father had done through the ages. He came to complete what his father began. Are you listening to me? Now, are we living under the law? No. Are we supposed to go back to the Old Testament system of, of worship and religion? No, no. We're not under the law, but not because God has changed his mind about sin, because we are living under a higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law that God by the Holy Spirit has written on our hearts, you see. Hmm? The New Testament did not change God. It changed you. God is the same God. So to say, well, the God of the Old Testament was mean and angry just shows what an illiterate, biblically illiterate person that is. God said, I change not. He doesn't change, right? The New Testament changed you, and it changed your relationship with God. But God's the same. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And God did not lower his standards of righteousness to make the New Covenant more accessible. He didn't lower what he considered to be right, the way to live, so that you know, anybody could just kind of make it. In fact... He raised his standards even higher. But he provided us the ability to meet that standard by his grace. See, if you think that law means being really strict and grace means being really slack, you're going to be hopelessly confused. That is not what it means. Law is a standard. 
Grace is the ability from God to meet that standard. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. See, the law commanded that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does that mean? That you have a loving feeling, a warm, fuzzy, goose pimply feeling about every teela walla and subji walla that you bump into? No, it has nothing to do with how you feel. It means treat other people the way you want to be treated. However, that's the law. By the way, you know, some people say, you know, we don't have to follow anything in the Old Testament. Well, the, the Old Testament says love your neighbors yourself. But Jesus cranked it up several notches. He said, I command you, love others the way I have loved you. Something that is humanly unattainable, impossible. So he didn't lower anything. He just raised it up even higher. But through the new birth... God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has furnished the love. That's the New Testament. That's grace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we don't discard the Old Testament. You know, some people almost have the idea, we'll take a pair of scissors and cut half the Bible and throw that in the dustbin. No, that's completely foolish. That's completely wrong. We don't discard the Old Testament, but we must read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. In other words, we read it with the understanding that it has been completed and fulfilled in Christ. You understand? Right. But on the same, by the same token, we must read the Old Testament. We must read, sorry, we must read the New Testament with the knowledge that we have of the old. Because if you don't, you could possibly miss out on some things that God is trying to tell you. Are you listening to me? Let me read to you Romans chapter 4, and I'm also going to read verse 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Verse 5, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. By the way, notice in that verse, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, calls Jesus God, who is God over all. Praise the Lord. So God chose the Jewish people, or maybe it'd be more correct to say the seed of Abraham. He chose them to be the custodian of his divine communications. Custodian means like you're in charge of, you're entrusted with it. You have, like we talk about the custodian of a building, you know, like he, he takes care of it, he maintains it, you know. There are no Babylonian scriptures, There is no Egyptian Bible. I mean, they may have all kinds of religious writings. I'm sure they do. But God did not give some different revelation of himself to all these different people. And so like, well, I don't think I'm just going to read, you know, the Bible. I might just, you know, read, uh, you know, the Hittite Bible. No, 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 no. God 
only entrusted his oracles, his words, his communication through the Jewish people. Hallelujah. And all of the writers of the Bible, all of the writers of the Bible, with the possible exception of Luke, were Jewish. So we have a very Jewish Bible. It's kind of funny, you meet some Christians who have like a bad attitude toward Jews. I wonder how Jesus of Nazareth would feel about that. He's the one who told the woman at the well of Samaria, <clears throat> excuse me, salvation is of the Jews. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I wonder how Paul would feel about that, uh, who is very Jewish. It, you know, even people who study Greek, you know, scholars, they notice that Paul's Greek is like Jewish Greek. It has a Jewish flavor to it because that, that's who he is. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it was with the descendants of Abraham that God made a covenant. There's no record that I'm aware of in the Bible of God making a covenant with any other nation. Now, there are times when he may have spoken a word like he, to Nebuchadnezzar and things like that, but he didn't make a covenant with them. He made a covenant with the people of Israel. Hallelujah. Now, turn with me to Exodus. We're talking about the Jewish roots of our salvation. Why? Because I think it will give you a fuller, fuller picture of what Christ has done and who you are. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then on Mount Sinai, he spoke to them and said, Now, therefore, if you will indeed, truly, obey my voice and keep my covenant, see, there it is, keep my covenant, then what? Then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God, his original intention at Mount Sinai was that the Israelites would be a light to the nations. That they would be a light to the nations. See, after, before the Tower of Babel, there were no nations. There was just everybody. After Babel, the, world, the world's population was divided into nations. So, so from that, that point onward, you have nation building. And so God separated people into nations. Why? Because they were in open defiance against him. So he separated them nations. And then he chose one man. And from him, he built a nation. And he said, I'm, I'm going to do something with you that I would never do with anybody else. I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And the reason I'm doing that is so that you can be a light to all the other nations. How? By precept and by example. You are to de declare God's righteous decrees and to demonstrate God's goodness by living in them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And God wanted every Israelite, not just one tribe, he wanted every Israelite to be a priest. That's what he said. That you might be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. So that every Israelite would have the ability to go into the presence of God on behalf of others, to be an intercessor. 
to stand before God on behalf of other nations, you see. And the children of Israel were to be God's special people. And the Lord treated them, as he said, as a treasured possession, something of value, something of great worth, right? He didn't say, and you will be to me like an old shoe. No, no you will be a, a treasured treasured possession. Do you have something, ladies? Do you, do, how many of you ladies at home have like a jewelry box? Just, just Jeppy. How many of you guys at home have like maybe a drawer or someplace in your bedroom or wherever you stay and there's just like that one or two like really nice things. Like you got to have a nice watch or, or maybe your nice thing is your motorbike. I don't know, but you have that, that nice special thing. Like for a lot of women, they might say it's their wedding ring or something like that, you know, right? Something you don't just throw around the room or, you know, just, uh, just you know, discard. It's something that like, can I touch that? No. You know, it's something very special, right? That's how God, that's God's attitude towards orig originally toward Israel. That was what he said to them. In Jeremiah 31, verse 32, the Lord said, I was their husband, declares the Lord. Originally, the people of Israel, in a sense, were, quote, unquote, married to God through a blood covenant. See, because God promised to love them. He uses, in the Old Testament, a word like loving kindness, uh, but it's really the Hebrew word hasid, hasid. I didn't sneeze, that's how it's pronounced, hasid. And, and, it, and it means, it's hard to translate because there's no English equivalent to hasid. We don't, have a, we don't have an English word that means that. And that's why it's translated loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness, loyalty. Probably the best definition of hasid is covenant love. Where God says, I promise to love you Always, I swear in blood that I will always care for you. I will look after you. I will be to you like a husband who's going to be there for you, who's faithful for you, who, who provides for you, who protects you. That's what he said. Hallelujah. Then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Moses, the Lord was speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. And God said, Israel is my firstborn son. In ancient days, the first son was the chosen heir. You know, typically in the, in the culture of the day, the first son, firstborn son, was the chosen heir. That's why the inheritance of Isaac and the covenant was supposed to go to Esau. Because he's first, he's born first. But Esau sold his birthright. Must have sold it for a lot of money. I mean, he must have sold it for lakhs and lakhs. He must have needed a lot of money. He sold it for a bowl of soup. So the Bible, the book of Hebrews says, don't be like Esau. He treated the things of God as being, you know, insignificant. Doesn't matter. I'm hungry. What does this mean when I'm starving? Don't be like Esau. Jacob, Jacob had some issues. We could preach a thousand sermons right now. Jacob had some real issues in his life. He was a mama's boy. That's one problem. He, uh, <laughs> he, had he, 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 he was real loose with the truth, 
and he deceived his father. You know the story. He dressed up like his brother, you know, and he listened to his mother, and he dressed up like his brother, you know, and he pretended to be someone he was not, and he, he got the blessing, right? So Jacob had some real issues. In fact, his word means like deceiver, but um, that's why God changed his name later. But one thing you can say about Jacob that you can't say about Esau, he valued the things of God. I mean, he had some issues, but he valued the things of God. See, as he, as he was leaving his father-in-law's place and, and going out on his own, that night an angel appeared to him and wrestled with him. And he wrestled, the Bible says, all night till sunrise with that angel. And the angel, imagine this, the angel said, let me go. So he's a pretty determined person. That's amazing, isn't that? He was wrestling with the angel. And the angel said, let me go. And Jacob said, not until you bless me. Come on, I wish we had some Christians like that today who would say, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving here. I'm not getting up from this place of prayer till I get my healing. I'm not gonna go home. Don't ask me to wait till next Sunday. I'm gonna get my miracle. I wish we had some people like that today. He was determined. He was resolute. He wasn't like, well, I prayed and I didn't get any better. So I guess it wasn't God's will. Come on. Come on. You got like a, a, a string of chow, chow mein for a backbone. You need to have an iron rod for a backbone. How many, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And the firstborn son carried the family name and carried on the father's legacy. Notice this scripture. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9 and 10. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, cared for him, and kept him as the apple of his eye. God gave the Israelites land, the promised land, as their inheritance. You see, an allotted inheritance. Like this, this area belongs to Judah. This area belongs to Simeon. This area belongs to the tr tribe of Gad and, uh, you know, etc. Et you know, Ephraim and all of these things like that. That was their inheritance, you see. Now, observation. Many people in Nagaland, whom we know and love, they're kind of, um, not always, but, but some of them are kind of uh, casual when it comes to many things in life. You know, like, like I've known church members where someone wrecked their car or smashed into their car, and they were kind of like, um, huh? oh, wow, you know, too bad. Someone stole, you know, something from them, and they were like, wow, you know. But when it comes to land... Totally different story. When it comes to land, I see many people, they're suddenly very zealous. They're passionate. They're very determined. I knew, I knew of a man years ago who it seemingly every other week was in court. There's some case involving his land or somebody else's land that he thinks is his land. I mean, and, and you know, some people, you know, like if, if, if your boundary wall was just like, you know, uh, you know, maybe a centimeter over on their side, they, they have a conniption fit. Hmm? 
God said to the Israelites, your inheritance is the promised land, your allotted place, but you are my inheritance. And what that means is, I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to allow someone to take you. I'm not going to allow the enemy to just come and invade you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight more than in the courts. I'm going to fight tooth and nail. After, after the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea, the children of Israel rejoiced, and they said, God is a warrior. Hallelujah. He fights for Israel. Hallelujah. The Egyptians said, the Lord fights for Israel. God said, you are my inheritance. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So that means God doesn't just care for you like a, like a bureaucrat. He's passionate. He's passionate about taking care of you. Let me ask you a question. Oh, I need a volunteer. Uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but you know, if I was to just like, like come real close to hitting you, yeah. Exactly. You, he, he instinctively blinked. Maybe he knew to do that. He, we didn't rehearse it. He instinctively, he instinctively blinked, right? Something, something, somebody just snaps their finger and, you, and you, 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 unconsciously you blink. God said, I will keep you as the apple of my eye. That means like your pupil, right? Some little dust, you know, you can't, you can't even stop from doing it. You blink. The first thing you do is you cover your eyes, right? God says, I don't have to think about it. When danger comes, I'm going to cover you. Do you. How many of you would be okay with me touching your eyes? I washed my hands. Anybody, any volunteers today? <laughs> I don't want anybody touching my eyes. Can I touch your eye? No, you cannot. <laughs> God's not going to let anybody touch you. Hallelujah. He's going to cover you. He's going to keep you. He's going to protect you. You are his special treasure. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, after the Israelites sinned, Moses interceded for them. And boy, they sinned royally. And on the mountain, Moses said to God in Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. What is it that made the Israelites unique? It wasn't their culture. It wasn't their rules. It wasn't their religious rituals. It was the presence of God. Moses said, this is the thing that makes us distinct among all the other people 
in the world. Listen, there are religious people from, from, from pole to pole and across the equator. There's all kinds of religious people, you know, and they've got a religious book and they go to religious meetings and some of them sing religious songs and they have different creeds and they have different things they do. What makes us unique? We don't just have a service. We don't just have a time. We don't just have a thing, a, a liturgy. We have something that no religion can give you. We have the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. When Moses, when Moses finished constructing the tabernacle, the Bible says, then the glory of the Lord descended upon it. So, so all of this time, he was giving Moses these instructions, very detailed instructions. In fact, he told him, see that you make everything according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. So, I mean, God is a builder. Right? He's an architect, and he had a blueprint. He had a plan. He says, I want you to do it just like this. So they followed. I mean, uh, and you read you know, the book of Exodus, and sometimes you feel sleepy you know, reading about all these different things. Why all of that? Because he said, you build the platform, and when you're done, I'm going to walk on stage. And the glory of the Lord descended upon it. Hallelujah. And the Bible says in Exodus 29, verse 43, that God's presence sanctified that place. That's interesting. His presence, it's his presence that made it holy. Praise the Lord. What makes this building different? Well, you know, God doesn't live in a building, and, 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 and that's true. But we come here to worship him, and we come here because we want his presence. And if you don't, let me inform you, that's why I'm here, and I hope that's why you will be here. We want something from the Lord. We want a divine encounter. Hallelujah. And where God's presence is, there is a sanctifying power. See, we are God's holy people. It's not because you don't drink and don't smoke. It's not because, you know, you have a big Bible under your arm. It's not because, you know, you wear a cross around your neck. I don't smoke and I don't drink either, but, but, that, but that's, not, that's not enough. It's the presence of God in you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Not even Moses could enter the tabernacle when the glory filled it. But when the glory lifted, when the glory lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites pulled up their tent pegs. It's time to move. It's time to journey onward. And they followed the glory. Cloud by day and fire by night. They were led by God's presence. When the glory cloud stopped, and they said, this is where we're going to stay. See, here you go. That's how you and I are supposed to live. We're supposed to be led by the presence of God, not by our calendar, not by our schedule, not by, you know, our ideas. When the glory cloud moves on, it's time to pull up, you know, your tent pegs. It's time, to, it's time to pack your suitcase, you know, figuratively speaking. It's time to move on. I'm not telling you to move somewhere. I'm telling you, we got to go with God. We, be, we need to be led by his presence. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. That's why in church, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have like a basic format and everything, but we can't be so, you know, enamored with our own schedule. I don't like church meetings where they say, and sister, doohickey will be the leader. I have a better idea. Let the Holy Ghost be the leader. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, one more scripture along those lines. I shouldn't say that. Here's another scripture. In Joshua, Joshua 23, verse 14, in the middle of the verse, it says this. Not one word. Go, go a little further in the verse. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. I don't know, but you know, sometimes when you go to a shop and you buy uh, something to drink, like maybe fruit juice or something like that, perhaps milk, I don't know, maybe some kind of cheeses or something like that. I'm not exactly sure how it is because, you know, I don't do any shopping. You know, I, I have no idea that, you know, I just eat what is set before me like the Bible says, you know. So, <laughs> but you know, a lot of times there'll be uh, it written somewhere like on that fruit juice box, you know, must be consumed before this date because it'll go bad. You, I know, sometimes you go to some shop where I, they don't have a lot of customers and they can have some orange juice. Yeah. And they, they dust the box off and like, you know, this was made in 1997. It's vintage. It's, it's really, it's, you know, so it's not good after that, but none of God's promises have an expiration date. <laughs> I said, none of his promises have a little, a, little, a little message there. Now, if you don't believe by the end of 2021, this is no longer valid after. No, 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 no. His words are imperishable words, and he does not forget his promise even to a thousand generations. He's a faithful God. He is a covenant-keeping God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so Joshua, at the end of his life, you know, sometimes when people are young, and, and it's a good thing, but when they're young, they love the Lord, you know, they're passionate about Jesus, and then you see some people, when they get older, um, never mind, when they get older, they get kind of hard. You know, have you seen that? They get kind of hard, kind of negative, you know, a little skeptical, well, you know. Uh, yeah, well, God does some things, but on the other hand, you never know. But here's a man who served God his whole life. I mean, he began, he began as Moses's P.S., <laughs> right? He's, he's the gopher for Moses. Moses says, how about some lunch? Okay, Josh, go, 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 get, go get me some fried rice, you know? And so Joshua is, is the gopher. And then he went with Moses into the tent of meeting, special tent of meeting where, where God would talk with Moses. And the Bible says that sometimes like when Moses left the tent of meeting to go do the business, Joshua stayed there. He stayed behind. He stayed behind. It's kind of like, you know, some people, you know, when the service is over, boom, get in their car, get on their motor, and they're gone. But, but this guy, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I, need, I need to just be here. I mean, the presence of God is so real right now. I just, 
I just want to be here a little longer and just, just absorb that. I just want to be here and bask in his presence some, some more. I, I'm in no hurry. Because I, 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 all these other things, those are, are, are secondary in nature. Some people, you know, like, they get a little impatient Sunday morning. Oh, it's already 5 after 12. Oh, I got a chicken in the oven. Come on, you know, there, there, will, there will always be lots of chickens. Right? There will, there will always be lots of lunches. But I mean, you know, God can do something for you in his presence that a thousand chickens could never do for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd rather have a... a, a a cold lunch and a hot service than a hot lunch and a cold service. <laughs> and, and when God was ready to choose someone, because Joshua is not related to Moses. Did you know that? He's not from the same tribe. You know, there's no connection at all. It's not, obviously, Moses is not from Naglan. And so Joshua is not even related. Not even related. Josh, Moses had children. Did you know that? He had children, but... We don't know what about, I don't know what happened to them. They're evidently, you know, running home to eat chicken. <laughs> but God said, no, this is the one. This is the one. And so this man's lived his whole life. And he's about to step over to the other side. And he's telling those people, he's telling that nation. He said, you yourselves know that not one word has failed of the good things that God has promised us. Ooh. He didn't say, well, you know, win some, lose some, you know. I mean, sometimes when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord, no, 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 no. That's just doubt and unbelief. That's all that is. He said, not one word. Not one word has failed. And then he said, now you make up your mind who you're going to worship, who you're going to believe but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need some Joshua's. We need some Jacob's, but we also need some Joshua's in this day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So all of these things, the covenants, the adoption, the glory, the promises, they, they belonged to the Jewish people. And more importantly than that, most important, Romans 9, 5 says that Christ came through the lineage of Abraham, the generation of the Jewish people. But why? Was that really necessary? Couldn't he have come some other way? I'm going to change course here a little bit, kind of change gears, turn the page a little bit, and go a slightly different direction, and then I'll bring it together real quickly. In Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says that God decided he would test Abraham. And he said to him in verse 2, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
I mean, if there was ever a time when a person could have said, that's not God, that, that's the devil. No, I'm, nope, nope, no, I refuse to even hear that. I mean, that would have been the time. And notice God specified your only son, the son whom you love. And verse 3 tells us, it's so amazing to me, and it shows you why God chose Abraham in the first place. Verse 3 says, early in the morning, Abraham got up, saddled the donkey, took his son, and went off. I mean, if it was me, I would not have awakened early in the morning. First of all, I would be tossing and turning all night long, and so the next morning I would be tired. Abraham did not delay. He didn't take a few days to pray about it. It's amazing how many people say, well, the, I feel like the Lord is telling me to do this, but I want you to pray about it. Why do I need to pray about it? Um, the Lord told me that he wants me to do this. Would you pray for me that I'll do it? No, I'll pray that God have mercy on your lazy bones. <laughs> you already know what you're supposed to do. Just go ahead and do it. Hallelujah. And notice this. You can read the story, Genesis 22. Abraham didn't tell Sarah. See, he's been married for a while now. If he had told Sarah, now, honey, don't get upset. <laughs> no way. She, you know, she would have gone ballistic. She would have grabbed Isaac and, and hid him, you know, under a camel or something and, and shipped him off to another country. She would never, you're not going to take my baby. How dare you take my baby? You know, there's no way. He knew that would happen, so he didn't even tell her. So what does that tell us, men? Don't tell her everything. <laughs> Wait a minute. Stay seated, Pastor Jeppy. I'm not done yet. <laughs> and, and Abraham did not compromise. He didn't say, well, God told me to offer my son. So um, Ishmael, come on, let's, let's go. <laughs> That's pretty close, isn't it? <laughs> I do love Ishmael. That's pretty close. No, 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 no. He mentioned Isaac by name. And the Bible says that Abraham traveled for three days to reach that place. That was a long time to be alone with your thoughts. So that means this whole thing was not a spontaneous action. Something done rashly in the heat of the moment. Some people, they get excited about something. God said that I'm supposed to go to Africa. All right, I'm going to buy the ticket now. And they just rush off and do it. You know, or, you know, just, or maybe like you know, during a service time, they just kind of get excited or something. They quickly do something, and later they regret it, or maybe not. You know. But this was a deliberate and intentional choice. They're walking for three days through the desert. What do you suppose Abraham's thinking about? It ain't chicken. <laughs> He's not thinking about buying a new tent. <laughs> He's thinking about what's going to happen. Isn't that amazing? When they reached the place, the general area, Abraham told his servant in verse 5, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. 
and come to you again. What are you going to do? We're going to worship. Don't you mean you're going to kill your son and fry him like a barbecue? No. We're going to worship. Why did he say that? There is no worship without sacrifice. There is no worship without sacrifice. We're talking about our Jewish roots and reading the Old Testament in the light of the new. In 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24, David said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. There is a price to pay for true worship. There's a price to pay. And a lot of people are nowhere near willing to pay that price. Somebody said, here, you, you can just take these animals, David, and go ahead. I, you know, it's yours. Go ahead and offer that sacrifice. It's, it's a good thing. We know you need to do it. And David was like taken aback. He was offended by that. No, 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 no. I will definitely pay for it. I will not offer to the Lord my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. You know, think about this. Just a thought. You know, a lot of times, like when I was a kid, you know, on the way to church, my mother would give me like a little bit of money, you know, here's for the offering. And I guess that's okay. You're trying to teach your child to give. But actually, I think that's also wrong. I think it should be that, you know, it should cost that person something. Are you listening to me? There is no worship without sacrifice. We offer to him a sacrifice of praise. That means it doesn't always have to be convenient for you. It doesn't always have to please your flesh. It doesn't always have to just suit you, what, what you like. There's going to be a price to pay. Have you noticed that sometimes like when it was so difficult to get to church, like, you know, uh, you couldn't get an auto rickshaw that morning and it was raining or, or, or somebody was sick last night in your home and you were up late taking care of them or, or some kind of distraction came along, but you persevered and you made it here. Have you noticed, maybe some of you could, could agree with this, that when you got there, that's when God really blessed you. That was, that was, because you know, number one, the devil was trying his best to keep you out of that place. And also, number two, God allowed it to happen because he wanted you to offer a sacrifice to him. My time, my energy. The sacrifices that David offered, they were a substitute for himself. They represented himself. You're a living sacrifice. It's yourself, your time. Well, I think Pastor John preaches too long. I think it should be longer. Because <laughs> it's got to be, come on. I think, we, I think convenient Christianity is a mistake. I'll go one step further, and I don't mean to hurt anybody's sentiments or be offensive, but I think the seeker-friendly movement died. It died of covid I think there's some things that can be learned, and don't, don't, you know, I don't want to be too harsh or something. I think there's a lot of things that people can learn and good things, but I think this is a new day. 
And I think God wants strong disciples who are fully committed and they know the word of God. Not these fair weather Christians who sing little ditties that don't have any truth in them. And if you say something that they don't kind of like, they cry, ooh, I'm not going to that church anymore. He doesn't want babies. He wants strong believers. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd rather have a smaller church that's strong and people are fully committed to God and the Lord is really working in their life than a stadium full of these little mamby-pamby little you know, snowflake Christians. Come on, come on. Nominal Christians will not survive the tidal wave of sin that's coming to this planet. I don't want to look back over my life like Joshua and say, well, where did they go? They all fell away. They used to love the Lord. Now they love something else. I don't want that. Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, maybe you're a little bit offended by some of the things I say, but at least there's no misunderstanding. Maybe you don't like it, but I didn't come here to tell you what you want to hear. With God's grace, I believe I can help you hear what you need to hear, even if you don't like it. But the nice thing about being in a group is you don't know I'm talking about you. I don't know that I'm talking about you. So nobody knows. Only God knows. So you can just, you know, your, your cheeks may be red and rosy because you're so embarrassed, but you can say, amen, amen, amen. You can say amen now. <laughs> Hallelujah. And Abraham said, I and the boy will go and will come again. Well, Abraham, shouldn't you have said to the servant, say one last goodbye to Isaac? He's not coming back. But he didn't. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 tells me that Abraham believed that God was able to raise up Isaac even from the dead. <sighs> you talk about the faith of Abraham. It's more than just believing God for a healing or believing God for your rent money. This is faith. This is Abraham kind of faith right here. In other words, God may ask something of me that seems to contradict everything I thought should happen, seems to undermine everything I've ever hoped for, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to obey him because I am fully persuaded that what he promised, he is also able to perform and he will work it out. It will happen. I don't know how. I don't always know when, but I know it will happen. That's faith. That's a amazing faith. Whew. He knew. He knew that God had already told him, through Isaac shall your seed be named. There's no way this boy's going to die. He's going to have to live. Because God told me. Don't forget what the Lord told you. Through the word of God, but also just what he says to your heart. Don't forget. Some people forget in the day of adversity. They forgot. They forgot the vision that God gave them. They forgot the hope that he put in their heart. Don't forget what God told you. Because you're going to need to hang on to it. And Abraham, he took the wood and he laid it on his son. And of course, Isaac said, Father, we have the wood. We have the fire. But where's the lamb for an offering. Wow. 
Abraham could have said, yeah, I was meaning to tell you earlier, I guess now is a good time. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> I'm sorry, son. I really love you, but I'm sorry. No, he said this. Verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb. Abraham knew a lot more than you give him credit for. He saw things that, that, that you don't realize that he saw. God will provide for himself the lamb. And they came to the place, and Abraham bound his son. He tied him up and laid him on the altar. And Isaac didn't struggle. He didn't fight. He didn't say, you crazy old man, something wrong with you. You got a demon. There's no way in the world you heard from God. Get, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I may be bound up, but I'll just hop. You can't catch me. I'm really fine. <laughs> and, and a lot of times we think that, that Isaac, because he said, I and the boy will go and come back. We think that he was like, you know, like in covenant kids. No, 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 no. Most likely, it's, it's hard to tell, but most likely at this point, Isaac was in his 30s. Of course, you know, Abraham, he's over 100, so I and the boy. <laughs> but he's, in, he's probably in his 30s. And Abraham raised the knife to kill his own son. And he didn't know what, what was going to happen exactly. He didn't know ahead of time, well, God's going to say stop, so, okay, here I go. <laughs> okay, I'm almost ready now. Go ahead, say it. Say it. No, no, no. He, he doesn't know what's going to happen. You don't always know exactly what's going to happen. But in the nick of time. Come on, don't you know we have an on-time God? Aren't you glad? He may not be early, but he's never late. Hallelujah. In the nick of time. In the nick of time, an angel from heaven said, Abraham! You know, some people have trouble hearing from God. It could cost you. <laughs> But Abraham, he, he heard, yep, 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 I heard from God, I heard from God, hallelujah. And the angel said, and it's really God delivering the message through the angel, now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked, and he saw a ram. A, a ram is a male adult sheep. And his horns were caught in a thicket. And he took the ram and offered it instead of his son. But that's not the end of the story. Then God said to Abraham in verse 16, I swear by myself that I will bless you. Something, something significant has just happened. This is not just kind of a cool little story. This, this something major just happened. It's very significant, maybe not to other people, but to God it was. And then in verse 18, he said, God said this, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. God may ask you to do something and you're thinking about how this is going to affect me. But there's a bigger picture. 
If you will trust the Lord, if you will obey him, it will be a blessing to other people because whatever God has for you, his plan for you is not just about you. Don't ever think that. It's not just about you. There are other people who will forfeit and not experience God's blessings if you disobey. I don't want to be harsh, but it's possible there's some people who will not go to heaven if you don't obey the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. On the surface, this just seems like a cruel prank to play on an old devoted father and his unsuspecting son. And stories like this are why some ignorant Christians want to unhitch from the Old Testament. But God is a God of purpose. And there's a reason why he does things. Just because you don't understand why doesn't mean there's not a reason. Now, not everything that happens to you in life is from God, but everything that God does, there's a reason why he does it. We read in the very beginning that this was a test. Why do teachers give their students a test? Is it to punish them? Or is it to prove them? The teacher already knows the answers. But the test shows what the student knows. It's not enough for you to know the word. It must be proven in your life. Just jot it down. There is no such thing as untested faith. There is no such thing as untested faith. Why did it happen? It's all about covenant. And it's a concept that's so foreign to us that we can't relate to it. It just doesn't make sense to us. A covenant is more than a contract or an agreement. It's like a marriage. It's an equal partnership where both parties are fully devoted and give themselves completely to one another. God knew what he was going to do. God was willing to do something for Abraham, but he had to make certain that Abraham was willing to do the same for him. What about a marriage? And during the vows, they ask uh, I don't know who goes first, the bride or the groom. They, they, they ask the bride, do you take this man to be your husband? Do you promise you know, to love him and cherish him, blah, blah, blah? And she says, I do. Then they ask the man, do you take this woman to be your bride, to love her and cherish her? And he says, uh, 50-50. Mm, not exactly. No, no, that doesn't work. Both parties must be willing, completely willing I know some of you need to think about that before the day comes. Hallelujah. Both parties must be willing. So Abraham was asked to give up his son for God because God was going to give up his son for Abraham and the world. And he instructed Abraham to go to the land of Moriah. 2 Chronicles 3.1 Chronicles 3.1 tells us the land of Moriah that was the very place. That was the very place 
where David said, I'll never offer to the Lord my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. That was the very place where God told Solomon, you build the temple right here. That was the place just outside the walls of the city where God offered his son as a sacrifice for us. And Abraham laid the wood on Isaac. And Isaac said nothing, just as Christ was silent before his accusers and carried the cross. And God provided for himself the lamb. The ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. The Hebrew word for thicket, I looked it up today, means to be woven. Like a spider's web is woven. Jesus was caught by a plan laid by his enemies, betrayed by a friend. And it took Abraham three days to reach that place. And on the third day, God raised his son from the dead. And just as Abraham offered his son by faith, we receive by faith God's son. And God said, I swear, I will bless you. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 6 tells us this, that when there's an uncertainty about something, there's a dispute, men swear. And they swear by someone greater than themselves. Usually they say, I swear by God. And what they mean by that is, may God strike me dead. May God judge me if I'm lying to you or if I don't keep my promise to you. But God could swear by no one greater than, there's no one greater than himself. So he swore by himself. I swear by myself. What are you saying? I'm saying if I do not fulfill my covenant promise to you, may I destroy myself and cease to be God. And why did he do this? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 tells us that he, he swore by himself, the God who cannot lie, swore by himself so that we, we today, would be strongly encouraged to take hold of the hope set before us, to stand on the promise of God because God backs his word. Hallelujah. And then he said to him, in your seed, all the nations, you mean the Jewish nation? No, I mean all the nations will be blessed. Who is the seed? It's Jesus Christ. Abraham's obedience made it possible for Christ's obedience so that you and I by faith could be redeemed. Galatians 3.29 says this, and if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you, you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. So to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, God's righteous standards, the worship, the promises. We have been grafted in. We have been included. Now you 
with all who believe the gospel, Jew or Gentile, for the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Now you are God's special treasure. You are the apple of his eye. We together here are a nation, a kingdom of kings and priests to our God. We are united to Christ the way a, a man and a woman are united in matrimony. And we have access to the very presence of God. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are a carrier of the presence of God. You are the temple of God. And God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he is your very own father. To the nation, he said, I have been like a husband to you. I, you, have, you are like a son to me. But for you, individually, you are born of God's spirit. You are a child of God. Whew. I think we ought to just praise the Lord. Can we stand to our feet and give God some praise?